Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that sells tales from games, books, and life. And also welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by. I am super excited. Ever since an announcement came a couple of months ago, immediately I reached out to this man. I wanted to talk to him. Uh, so this is a little bit of a unique podcast relative to what you might be used to uh, on uh, this channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and I'll explain all that. Uh, before um, we get into the main body of the show. But I want to introduce my guest first. Uh, he is the, uh, I guess, managing editor. I, I didn't actually get your title. Something grandiose. There's something grandiose uh, about your title. <laughs> sure. Uh, my, it's really great to be here, Jason. My name is Aja George, and I am the creator, um, I conceived okay. of, creator, uh, co-project lead, and one of the writers for the upcoming D&D book, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. All right. So uh, we have the creator. We have, I mean, I, 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 I talked to a couple of people. They're like, oh, no, talk to Ajit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the show. So uh, one of the unique things that I wanted to just let people know ahead of time, this is a primarily board gaming podcast. Uh, so we're not going to talk about board gaming specifically in this show. Uh, we're going to focus on more on the RPG D&D. Uh, the reason I wanted to do this show, a couple, actually a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, we have a lot of adventure gamers who listen to shelf stories, it's stories, uh, and also the one-stop co-op shop. And so uh, on our channel, we are a pretty big YouTube channel and we get a lot of pitches for people with their Kickstarters and their products and everything. And I am, I'm gonna say this as nice as I can. I really want people to open their minds to different kinds of adventures. It does not all have to be grimdark. It does not all have to be elves and dwarves and medieval fantasy. Uh, and all the other tropes like that. I think people kind of get in that box. And so it's like, okay, how can I make a positive contribution and help you know, kind of lead people in a direction of something different? And so, you know, I have to open up the, <laughs> the, the, the cupboard a little bit because, you know, in our little hobby, we don't have as much um, resources. So I wanted to reach over to the RPG space. Uh, so my friend over here has released an awesome new supplement, which is coming out soon from Watsi, the, the, big, the big flagship themselves. Uh, so that's why I wanted to invite Ida George on here. So please, um, you know, please accept the spirit in which I'm offering this episode, something different in the adventure space. Uh, but before we get to that, I want please introduce us to yourself, uh, how you got into gaming, how you got into D&D writing. Uh, let's let us know a little bit about your personal journey. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to, Jason. Thank you so much. Um, as I said, uh, my name is Aja George, um, and my full-time job is director of operations for a nonprofit called the Shanti Bhavan Children's Project. Um, mm -hmm. It's an educational and poverty alleviation nonprofit, which uh, which is based in India, and which probably sounds a little weird for like, how does that fit into gaming? And I'll get to that in a second, but um, that's my full-time job. In, in the world of games, um, you know, I, I was a D&D player since like, I think for a second grade, I'm just trying to remember. I, every interview, like I'm asked, when did you start playing D&D? And it's like, well, I, I remember getting that red box, that like iconic red box, probably first or second grade. And mm. then, um, you know, I think played a little bit here and there. I was just, I was blown away with it. It was it was weird and interesting, but I, did, I didn't have people to play with. Did you so, grow up here in the States? Did you grow up Yeah, here? yeah. I, I was the first child from both sides of my family, born in America. I was mm. born in New York City um, and grew up um, in New Jersey, mostly. Um, and so uh, really struggled to fit in, uh, especially as like, you know, when I when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of Indians. I'm a little older, so a lot, not a lot of Indians growing up um, in the areas that I was living in. And so often I was, you know, one of the only brown kids around and um, I was also a geek and that combination was, was a little bit of a struggle to find my people, you know, and find that community that like accepted me and wanted me in it. And then I, I felt, you know, part of. Um, so gaming was 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 that outlet. And I, I really, really hit my stride in high school and played a lot of D&D there and um, loved it and continue with other games. But um, I started writing for, for games um, and really thinking about uh, bigger questions in games about 10 years ago. 
Um, it was going to Gen Con and my first Gen Con ever had a blast, loved it, but also didn't see a lot of other brown or black people there. And, um, you know, you get, you know, 60,000 people and, and you could go, you could go rooms and rooms and, and tables and tables and not see another brown person. And I, was a Gen Con. I mean, Gen Con yeah. is in the middle of Indianapolis, Heartland, America. Yeah. And, you know, you're pulling, I know Gen Con pulls from a lot of different corners, but you're primarily right. pulling from that right. center of the country, Heartland. And that's where D&D was born. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. and that's where a lot of role-playing game and a lot of, you know, fantasy gaming and all sorts of stuff was born. So it's like, um, I think, you know, for our audience and in gaming audience, we're, they're, they're hearing this and it's like, okay, why does that matter? Or uh, it's, it's it, just trust us. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you just, you, you want to find people that maybe understands a little bit of your, your story, right? Like right. You, you, that understands a little bit about your own background or, or understands different cultural elements that connect with you. Right. And that, that makes it, that makes a difference at the table um, or just feeling comfortable and, and not being like, somebody's going to say, something randomly accidentally offensive like they're not gonna they're not trying to be racist on purpose but like when you're when you're when you get a couple get a table with a couple other round people you, you know they're not going to say the thing that's like accidentally racist or going to be um, offensive just just you know without thinking about it right. um, there's a lot of comfort with with having other brown and black people at the table and that was what I was looking for and I, I was disappointed at, at Gen Con so it made me think about it and then you know, I decided I would do something about it. Um, and I started talking, I started writing about it. Um, and then Gen Con invited me to, to join their guest of honor committee to kind of help solve some of their problems, which were um, getting um, more brown and black people, more women on their guest of honor lists um, and their roles. And I contributed pretty heavily to that. And um, 2016, we had the first industry insider that was a the industry insider like guest of guest of honor list was sort of their, their big speaker series. And um, um, I was able to help, uh, you know, get gender parity for women in it and get more, you know, um, get more brown and black people um, on that list. And Mike Pondsmith was the guest of honor that year. Um, it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty powerful moment. And simultaneously, I started writing for games and, um, you know, that was pretty powerful because my first time I ever wrote for a game, I wrote, a city like an urban fantasy city guide to the city of Bangalore in India, right? Mm. And that had never been done. In fact, I, I think I'm certainly one of the first people of Indian origin to write like a city guide to an Indian city. Um, you know, before before I did it, I, I didn't really see. I'd seen you know some white guys take a shot at it, but like it was pretty clear that never had never been in India and then much less never been to the city that like they're writing about, right? So right. they're trying to they're trying to put it together for like maybe an encyclopedia article or whatever pieces of information they could, you know, they could get online or whatever. Mm -hmm. I knew the city of Bangalore. Like I, I, I'm there twice a year, right? I, I, I walk those streets. Um, I know those people. I, I know the culture. I know the restaurants. I know the temples. Um, I know the, you know, the nightclubs. I know what that city looks like and what it feels like and the vibe of it. And I was able to put that in the city guide authentically. And that was a lot of fun. Um, right. And I sort of kept on writing from there. I, I just apologize. I mean, so we're just getting to know each other. Uh, so I'm Puerto Rican, but I love India. And I and that was my first international trip. I spent six weeks in uh, I spent six weeks in Pune. Uh, oh, great, and great. and also Bombay. So like you know all the different areas yeah. and traveling around. Yeah. It is a trip, people. You, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you see like miles and miles of traffic just stop short because a cow has decided to cross yeah, the road. Yeah. Uh, when you see. A, a five lane highway, quote unquote, <laughs> with like yeah. you know, the rickshaws and the bicycles and, you know, uh, the cars that don't have like blinkers because they just use their horn and, you know, like, you know, get you for yourself fair that way. It is a trip to be in an Indian city or an Asian city or South Asian city. Uh, you got to go. A, you got to go. And B, it really helps to be there. Right. Yeah. So we're going to get to the cultural stuff, like the actual like culture talk on the, on the back half because I think people want to know like what they're getting and the, the, the actual adventure stuff uh, yeah. and where this could be useful kind of in terms of realizing games. We'll get to the culture stuff in the back end. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to let you know, just ju jump in there and be like, uh, you, you're, you're talking and you're talking my language. I, I'm, I'm back yeah, there. That, that's awesome. That makes me, that makes me so happy. There. <laughs> you you got to check out Bangalore one of these days. Uh, I, I, I'm mostly in the South when I'm in India, but, but I love the country as a whole. And it's almost like 
30 countries stitched together. It, it is yes. very, very different uh, yeah. from where, wherever you are, the city you're in. Um, but most recently, you know, I wrote, um, you know, I've been writing for a bit and, and gotten, you know, to know people and they appreciated my writing and my thoughts around um, running for games. And um, I, I got invited to write for Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Um, I, I knew the, the project lead on that West Sider for a few years. Um, he, um, he respected my work and we were friends. Um, and I also knew Jeremy Crawford at the, at the same time. So Jeremy Crawford um, being the, 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 the basically the, one of the two game architects for, mm -hmm. for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, he is head of all rules for D and D. Any, any kind of role in D and D that is his, that is his creation and that's mm -hmm. his purview. Um, so, um, I got, um, I got invited to write for Van Richten's really loved writing for Van Richten's because um, Wes, you know, did something kind of bold. He said, hey, look, Ravenloft has got, what, 20, 30 years of history. It's just one of these iconic locations in D&D. In but I, I don't want to do the same thing again and again and again, right? It, so many people have reinterpreted, like, right. um, you know, Bavaria or any of the countries that are, the, any of the, you know, the domains of dread that are there, right? Yeah, and um, Ravenloft being, like, a, a place where it's, like, you mentioned Bavaria, vampires, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, kind of a darker end of things as the sunrise and yeah. all that kind of thing. And uh, it kind of a plane exists. I don't know, parallel to the regular plane or whatever it is, uh, but it is an alternate place, but it has a very much darker, more gothic type of spin. And like, in terms of like things we've seen over and over again, I think gothic is definitely <laughs> one of the things that you can pretty much guarantee in an adventure game, we're going to see it at some point. Yeah, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot of the, those kind of like, you've seen Ravenloft done again and again um, by, by writers and reinterpreting it. And I wanted to do something a little different. Um, and so... Uh, I talked to Wes and I said, hey, you know, I would love to write um, an original domain based on, on India, on a part of India. Not like I, I can't capture all of India in one domain, but I can capture like a snapshot of India from a snapshot part of like a certain part of history. And um, I'd love to do that. And he said, yeah, you know, go for it. He, he gave me that permission and he encouraged me. And I loved creating a new domain, uh, the domain of Calicary. And as I was working on that, it got to me, it was like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome to write a whole, have a whole D&D book written by people like myself, like people of color who don't usually get to write for D&D, um, creating new lands and, and areas based on their cultures, uh, their histories, um, their myths and legends, and, you know, build it out and see where they go with that. Um, so after I finished Ravenloft, uh, I pitched that idea to, to both Wes and Jeremy, um, and to my surprise, they greenlit that idea um, and let me run with it. They said, hey, we want you not only to like write for this, we want you to be one of the project leads for this, um, but we want you to do it through adventures, right? Like you'll have that section that kind of talks about this new city, this new land, um, but also the best way to get to know a new land is the stories that you tell in that new land. And, uh, you know, putting adventures in those new lands that, that, that lets the players kind of play in those new lands and, and really immerse themselves culturally in them. And so that, that was, that was how, kind of the genesis for, for Journeys to the Rainy Citadel. Um, and I, I had an incredible latitude and authority over the project, the, you know, the vision's mine. I have to pick my team, kind of build out from there. Work closely with Wes, who who really, you know, his expertise is how do you create a D and D book and make sure that it is um, right for D and D. How do you make sure those stories are, are are the right stories and you know we're we're actually making sure those adventures are playable by other player by players. Um, but he and I closely collaborated with our with our great team of writers and built what was a historic book. And this is the first book in D and D's almost fifty year history. Um, written solely by people of color, and uh, with a team overall, there there are fifty people of color who worked on this book in some form or the other. The writers, artists, editors, um, you know, project leads, a whole across the board, art directors. It, it was it was pretty amazing how many people came together. Um, that are black or brown or, 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 you know, from a different ethnicity. Talk about the that, countries of origin 
Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm very interested in like, I'm a big person in locality, right? I mean, when yeah. we're, cause we're going to get talk about the toys, right? The monsters and the adventures a little, sure. as much as we can, as much as we can. Right. Sure. Um, <laughs> NDA. Right. Um, but just to give us a beginning sense of where the people are from so yeah. that we can start to sense like what, what they're pulling from and ultimately what's going to be on our tables. Sure. Um, well, we've got two writers from Mexico, both of them actually living in Mexico, but different parts of Mexico. So they're drawing from different um, backgrounds of Mexico to create very different lands. You know, I think people get this, you know, stereotype, well, oh, if it's from India, it's going to just be like this one thing. No, right? India's like 20, 30 countries. Rakshasas. Together. That's what we're going <laughs> to yeah. get. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. There are no Rakshasas in this book. Uh, and um, same with Mexico. Mexico has got, it's so diverse, complex histories. And so there's these two Mexican writers uh, taking it from different angles. Uh, we got a Filipina Filipina writer. Um, we have uh, two writers uh, from India, one born and brought up in India. I'm not including myself. Um, I, I worked on sort of the this one of the centerpieces, but um, we'll talk about that in a second. But two writers um, of of different backgrounds from India, one um, drawing from a Hindu culture, one from drawing from Muslim culture. Um, you know, we had a Japanese writer, a Chinese writer, Korean writer, um, uh, a Argentinian, um, she, she was a, sorry, a, I think a mix of Argentine, Venezuelan. I think she's, she's, she's um, biracial. Um, and then uh, we have four black writers. Um, so you, you're getting a, a whole host of uh, different people with different backgrounds, take tackling it from different perspectives. So like our black writers took different perspectives on, on the pieces they did. One was deeply inspired by the American South, mm. um, another by the Caribbean, um, two by different parts of Africa, taking on different, different, different areas of Africa, different pieces of their history and, and evolution. So um, the writers are just kind of tackling it from, from a number of different angles. And, what you end up getting is just uh, just really rich, wonderful lands with adventures and stories set in them. Okay. So then uh, I'm a longtime DD player myself. And I remember I'm a, I'm a lore book person. So ever since I was young, I'll go to the store and be like, okay, give me the Dark Sun. Give me the Eberron. Give me Forgotten Realms. Give me, you know, Greyhawker. Like I love reading the, the source books. So a lot of these worlds had multiple places like you think about the forgotten realms right like they would be these continents that had like a you know basically like dark with a big question mark uh, if they were kind of like that uh, along the way but they would take a stab at the the different cultures and inevitably inevitably the further you get from the center the more you got the stereotypes so you got like okay uh you're talking about japan let's talk about samurai you're talking about i just made the joke about rakshasas you talk about india we're talking about rakshasas uh you know which is uh, a creature that comes out of um the vedic lore um if you're talking about Mexicans, you know, you talk about Quetzalcoatl or like, you know, the, 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 the most obvious, um, you know, uh, Aztec stuff. Right, uh, exactly. So it's not, none of this is wrong, right? I mean, this is all like, right, they're all there, but it's the only thing, right? And it's almost like the culture reduced to those things. So like what you're talking about is doing that again, but from with people who are from those areas, know those areas, and you're going to see the difference in terms of how much uh, 3D you're going to yeah. get. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, in, in many ways, they're, they're, these are just not, uh, their takes on these areas were actually not stereotypical or not your, your superficial take that people are often really used to, right? There is nothing that like it, that's it, Aztec inspired. Um, Aztec empire inspired. Um, there's, there's, there are samurais in the Japanese one, but like, they're not the centerpiece of that, um, that, that piece. Um, right. You know, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're riffing on very different themes here um, with each of the, the, the locations that like are built into there. And um, you, you just get some, some really new takes, like one location uh, is inspired by Thailand and another by Aran and, and both Thailand and Iran, I think you don't usually see in D&D adventures as much um, or, or in, in fantasy uh, settings as much. And so, um, you know, Justice Arman, who was the, the, the Iranian designer, really um, captured a piece of Iran that was uh, very unique and had some really complex moral questions. Um, so, and Serena, Serena Marie, who did Thailand, just she kind of uh, she, she riffed off the Bangkok night market and, and did some pretty amazing things there. So talk a little bit about... Uh, um that 
translation, right? I mean, how do you, I mean, I imagine this, that's a too big a question, but I don't know another way to say this. Like I, I can see the, um, the instinct to be like, okay, my city is this, I'm going to make the fantasy version of this, right? And it becomes a little bit of a, a one-to-one, right? So, I mean, is that bad? <laughs> is that, uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you think about that kind of question? Yeah. So I gave, I gave some very specific um, vision guidelines. Um, I was very specific about the structure of the book, right? Like I, I spent like a couple of months thinking about and gestating on how I wanted the book to, to, to come out before I even started writing, before I started even pulling in the, the other writers. And mm-hmm. so there's some very stru- strict ground, ground rules. And I said like, hey, first of all, I'm not looking for a one-to-one, right? I, I'm not looking for you just to transport like, um, you know, like the Aztec empire into, into uh, D&D, right? You, you've got to like go deeper and more complex and you've got, you've got to like think about how some of these civilizations, if they were in a fantasy world, how they would have evolved and how they would have been their own thing without just being like, okay, I've just dropped out. Like Mexico is down now in D&D, right? Like that, that is not how it, it played out. It's very different from um, that aspect. So one of the one of the elements from, from um, that are, that we're looking at here is like this riff on um, you know a, a northern Mexican city um, that is in like the it's kind of almost got a st- steampunky kind of feel, right? Like it's mm. it's it's steampunk Mexico, northern Mexico, roughing off a little bit of like the Day of the Dead, um, but it's drawn from multiple different cultural elements, but it's doing its own thing that is, you know, pretty unique, but you definitely get the flavor or you definitely understand the cultural roots of Mexico in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you see that again and again from each of the writers, they really pulled on their own. And then my centerpiece, which I wrote was the Radiant Citadel. Um, and that's the that's the location that like links all of these locations, you know, kind of maybe to take a step back, I, I should kind of talk about that. The Radiant Citadel is um, this, this weird city that resides in the ethereal plane. And, and for your viewers, if they're not familiar with D&D, like there's like the material plane where all of the, you know, the worlds exist. And then the ethereal plane is this weird, um, you know, almost ghost-like plane that like links all the worlds in, in different planes together. And um, the ethereal, the, the Radiant Citadel is built from the fossil of a giant, um, you know, creature that went extinct, that wrapped itself around um, a diamond shard. Mm. Um, and it's in its, its dying days, it, it wrapped itself around this diamond shard that, that was giving life-giving energies. So that's why I did it. Um, and then it finally died and it got fossilized. And then, you know, centuries later, um, a new people found this and decided to carve a city out of, uh, out of the body of, of, the, um, of this beast. And they built a, this, this powerful ancient city and it's 27 civilizations that did it. They, they all kind of came together and built this, um, I almost think of it like a fantasy New York City in some ways, right? You think about like all the different cultures that came together to, to make that city what it is. Similarly, the Radiant Citadel is like, it's, it's a conglomeration of a bunch of different cultures that have agreed to share the city and work together in building the city together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't originally in the ethereal plane. There's like a lot of myths and like legends as to where it came from, what was used for and all of that, but it ends up in the ethereal plane. And then um, it was abandoned. Um, and, and then many, many thousands of years later, like the, like the descendants of those original creators of the city um, rediscover it and par- some of them rediscover it, but they're, they're missing civilization still. Like out of, out of that 27, only 15 find it. And they rebuild, they're starting to rebuild and kind of re- reactivate the powers of the city. And then they're rebuilding it and then and they, it becomes the centerpiece that like it can link to all of the other, um, the other locations. And some of these locations are not actually in the same world. There's multiple worlds. It's a multiverse. And so there's multiple worlds and it, it links through these gemstone kind of ships, to these different worlds. And, and that's how you play the whole book, right? You, mm-hmm. you start off in the Radiant Citadel, you, you, and then you can transport to any one of those um, locations and have an adventure there, go back to the Radiant Citadel, and then go to the next location in the book and have an adventure there. But the Radiant Citadel also is an opportunity for like players to explore 
what it means to be in a multicultural city um, that has to kind of negotiate um, social norms, has to negotiate laws, how to share resources. Um, I, I think there's some interesting questions there. And, and that's what I, what I created with that. And I'm so glad you mentioned about New York City. I'm from New York City. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I think like in terms of helping creators or helping, uh, you know, develop their own uh, properties or, you know, game players, you know, asking for something better, um, you know, avoiding the one-to-one, like it would have been easy to make the Radiant Citadel like actual New York City. So like, here's the five points and here's the, you know, this quarter, that quarter. And it's like, okay, like, Let's take a step back, go a little bit deeper, as you were saying, and talk about okay, what is the vibe of New York City? Like what, like what is the the emotional reality of New York City? And New York City is a city of immigrants, right? So yeah. you know, the groups come and then they set, they make roots, and then they get more prosperous, and then they move elsewhere. And another group comes yeah. and they get more prosperous, and so like you have that flow, and each group leaves a remnant. So the, you're going to encounter some form of it, uh, but you know, it, it gets incorporated into you know the, the other thing. Like, you know, you get all sorts of wonderful fusions <laughs> that arise from a lot of this stuff. So like, if you understand that dynamic, more than understanding just like the, the, the actual surface stuff, you could create something really cool. And it sounds like the Radio Citadel is that, is not just like multiculturalism, like, okay, the elf quarter, the dwarf quarter, the, the, because that's the way it usually is. It's like, okay, they're yeah. just kind of like is separated here. And, and this gets into like the, some of the actual stuff, like, because I remember reading something about you wanted to create a field of thinking about community and how to build community and how communities coexist and like really putting players in that space. hundred percent. And you, you really hit on a bunch of different things. And I'll give your, your, your viewers a little bit of a teaser that like I haven't, I haven't really done. I, I, this is a section called life in the, in the Citadel. And, and it, I'll just read through it. It's a little bit. Um, the rainy Citadel is a city of immigrants. Several of the explorers who claimed the citadel were refugees who escaped hardships that plagued their lands. They chose the citadel as their home, despite its strangeness and surreal surroundings of the deep ethereal. And as it, as it presented an opportunity to start anew, most of, the 15, most of the city's current inhabitants are descendants of the 15 founding civilizations active in the citadel, but all are welcome. Some find living in the deep ethereal too disquieting or st- uh, to stay, or they chafe at the confines of the citadel, Others depart out of fear. There, and there's something going out there that I won't, I won't spoil for that. Out of fear of something, there's a, there's a, there's a danger to this city too. Um, their numbers are replenished by new arrivals who seek a different life, who want to study the city's lore or find solace in the city's peace and safety. The city's, the Citadel's society is shaped by this ebb and flow. Traditions, customs, and values are a mix of old and new. While some adhere to the rituals no longer follow in their homelands, others create their own novel practices. So like you just you kind of described it right. You, you, this is this, and then there, I actually talk about fusion. Once you said there's New a York section, City, once yeah, you said New York City, I'm like I know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, there's, there's a section about fusion right in this, and, and I talk about how, um, you know, the city has like this mix of cultures and this fusion. And, like it's also a city of like, you know, I, I wrote this. Um, we started this in 2020. So, you know, we're, we're definitely struggling with some conversations that mm-hmm. were going on in America. And so that, that, that's, you know, what is, our, what is our relationship to people who are in need, um, who wanna come into our country, right? And, um, you know, the Aurora diamond, which is like the center, right? Like it's just this creature that's wrapped around this giant diamond shard. You know, there's some artwork around it that's floating around. You can take a look at it. Um, and the, and the, the Aurora diamond is bright. And it's radiant and, and it kind of goes across um, the entire ethereal plane. The ethereal plane is dark and gloomy and, and kind of scary. And your oral diamond is this beacon of light um, that you can see pretty much potentially if you're looking for it anywhere in the ethereal plane. I mean, you know, maybe you have to look for a while, but you'll eventually see this light. And I created this. And then after I finished creating it, I was like, I think I'm talking about the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> uh, I, I realized it afterwards, like what, what the Statue of Liberty is supposed to mean. I think that's what I was going at with this, with the Aurora Diamond. And, uh, you know, at the, at the very beginning of the book, there's this sort of like, kind of like this joke disclaimer that always comes in every, in front of every D&D book. And, and you know, Wes said, hey, 
um, you know, can you, can you do a disclaimer for the book? And I was like, well, you know, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, you can do whatever you want. You know, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's more serious, but do what, you, what, what feels right to you. So I, I did this disclaimer. There's no guarantee that the light of the Radiant Citadel will be visible to the naked eye on your plane of existence, but know that it is there, whether seen or not. And that's, when you ask me about hope, what it means about hope, I think that's what I'm getting at with this book and with the Radiant Citadel. You know, we, we've been, we've been what, a couple of years, three years, several years into a pretty dark period of time. And um, a lot of people say, you know, is there a hope? What's the future for America? What's the future for this world? And I think, you know, the pandemic beating down us and, and a lot of, you know, really hard political issues coming at us. Um, we are filled constantly with, with dread and darkness. And, and maybe one response is grimdark. A lot of grimdark would be like, okay, well, it's going to be the end. Let me just like, let me just sort of jump in on that and embrace that. I can and tell that, you from our, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I can tell you like what we're seeing here on our channel and what, what's being released. I mean, it's um like, okay, but people are kind of retreating into, you know, hack and slash and murder. And I mean, I get yeah. it, you know, I get it. Like, that's like a, you know, but it's, uh, they're indulging certain feelings that people are having. And that's kind of where people are. I, that's why it's another reason why I wanted to reach out to you because it, it just from the, um, the opening materials and reading through whatever it was, you, you are doing something different. You yeah. are trying to bring something that is not, that, that is not being represented. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that that's exactly what I was trying to get with this, Justin. Like, um, you know, one of the first themes of um, in science, science fiction and like the punk genre is cyberpunk and that's, you know, there's sort of this rebellion against like, you know, technocratic overlords and kind of having that conversation of what corporations look like when they take over. Um, I think the ultimate act of rebellion um, in the face of darkness is not to embrace that darkness and go like, okay, well, that's what life is just going to be. So I'm just going to go with this and just go as dark as possible, mm -hmm. but it is to be radically hopeful and go, I'm going to fight the darkness with hope. I'm, I'm going to fight the darkness with light. And I'm going to believe that there's a better future because the, I think the darkness in like the authoritarian leaders, they want you to have no hope and to just obey, right? And just follow. But when you have this radical sense of hope, um, you can see joy in your daily life and you can, you can visualize a future for yourself that is better than this future. And when you can start dreaming of a better future, then maybe you can start acting out towards that better future. And I, I think that's what this book is about. At least that's my hope, right? The Radiant Citadel itself is solar punk. And, and if your viewers don't know what solar punk that definition is, there's a few different definitions, but it's sort of like, it, it, it envisions a future where the city or that land or that people have figured out solutions to their problems. Um, and they're in, in collaboration and in harmony with the environment around them mm -hmm. to find that solution, right? And, and it says, it doesn't say there's new problems, right? There are still problems and risks and dangers, but it says, hey, we have found some solutions to the greatest existential threats, the biggest threats right now, and we know how to work together to fight fight against this darkness and go forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the Radiant Citadel is a, is a solar punk city. Like it's, it's pretty, things are going pretty well on there. There's some risks, some big risks, but otherwise like the city itself has figured out how to work collaboratively. Okay. So uh, you, oh, you walked into my next question because I yeah. know people are going to ask. Uh, okay. Uh, threats. D&D, &D, at the end of the day, I want to kill stuff. I used to yeah. be a DM for, and I, I did public D&D. So I went with, you know, many, many different groups. And they're not uh -huh. showing up going, I want to go in a multicultural vision and, you know, uh, love and hug each other. I was like, okay, uh, let's lay down some maps. I want to kill some ones. Uh, <laughs> sure. You know, so, okay. So uh, I know we can't, we're not going to get into um, like specific details because uh, the, the supplement's not out yet. It's coming out next month. I think July 5th yeah. is the current uh, thing. And well, this will release in June. Uh, so, but I, I think people really want to know how can I, like, what is the killing? What yeah. are the threats? What is, is there like an ultimate evil in this <laughs> yeah, there, there is definitely some pretty dark and, and monstrous things going on. Um, you know, the Radiant Citadel being solar punk is like, think about a video game. Like you go in there and like, there's a lot of bad stuff you, you find in a video game, but there's usually a home base, like a place where you can kind of retreat to and everything's going to be okay. And you kind of like rest up, rearm yourself, 
get your party back together and then, you know, go attack again, right? The Raiding Citadel is your home base. And so that's why it's solar punk. Um, but the rest of the locations, and there are 15 locations and 13 adventures, are dealing with some pretty complicated stuff, right? And so, um, you know, Erin Roberts, she's, she's got an adventure called Written in Blood, and um, I can't give away That's too much I about do. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is very dark. It is like gothic horror, mm -hmm. and it is like, it just takes you through like um, some pretty monstrous things that are happening to this to this town, and you've got to help them solve a mystery and then deal with the monster that's behind there. And you've seen the art and the creature is called the soul shaker. Um, and the art for it is lots of hands, too many, too many hands mm. uh, and uh, doing some really awful things. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that is um, a kind of great monster. Um, there's another monster that I, that I really dig and, it, and it's a complicated monster because it's an angel. But I think of it, it's sort of like an angel in almost the biblical sense where like angels can be pretty unforgiving. Mm -hmm. And if you cross them, um, they will f*** you up. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, this is an Iranian angel called the Pari. And um, it very much expects you to like do what it tells you to do. And if you do not do what you tell you, tell, tell, you know, what it tells you to do, uh, you may end up on the wrong side of its holy wrath. And so I think that it asks some really tough questions about like, you want to follow this? Like, is it is, is its religion the right you know path? Is it is it telling you what you should be doing, or should you be questioning it? Like, um, and and then some really good you know some really good complexities there. And that's a I mean celestial beings, right? I think that's yeah. a good lens through which to understand like why what a multicultural vision can offer because every culture has them. Every culture has some take on celestial beings so like angels you know they're not understood like you know from a muslim perspective they're a lot different than from a you know different um western traditions and then you have uh you know bodhisattvas and all the kind of other stuff so then right. and if you do it from one perspective then they're all going to kind of look the same so it's like okay right. this pantheon that pantheon that pan and they're all kind of like they're like kratos style just there to be killed yeah. <laughs> and they all do it they all act the same way but if you have people from those different areas reaching into like their cultural understanding of those celestial beings, you'll get different, like really different takes. So, exactly. and, and that's what you're angling at, right? Like we're getting, like we're, we're in for that kind of thing. where like, you know, we're getting really different takes. We're still going to, you're still going to roll your D20. Uh, and it's still all that. Yeah, stuff. You, you are, but, but we're also thinking like, this is 2022 and we, we know players have been playing D and D for a long time. And they're so used to killing, like, you know, with that, the, the, the big bad and they're so used to like just the easy obvious answers and like these adventures are pretty like there's there we we know you're smart right we, we were treating you like adults mm. we're treating our players like adults so like they're complicated like they, it, it becomes like you're like oh man i'm in some tough decisions and it's not so like, like easy to make like the right call like there's a there's a there's a new dragon in here and i'm not going to spoil anything else about it except that it's a new dragon um it's badass as hell there's a few ways to approach it. You can just go, you know, toe to toe and, and, and kill it. Right. Um, but is that the right answer in this situation? Mm -hmm. It has some really tough questions about like, what is going on behind the scenes with this dragon? Is it, is it, you know, is everything exactly like it appears it is? And, and that's just because we know people have been playing D&D for 50 years. And so we want to give them something new rather than just run through the same same dungeon for the 50th time. Mm -hmm. You don't need to buy this book if you just want to run through a dungeon and kill a bunch of monsters you know, easily. Like, you know, there's so many other books out there and you can just make your own, right? This is actually going to do a lot of new things for you. Um, and it's going to defy your expectations. It's going to treat you like an adult, that you're smart, you're capable of like looking at things from a different angle, like with some nuance. I think it's going to blow people's expectations away. Like they're just, they're just going to just get something out of it um, from, from the monsters there. Right. Yeah. And from the villains there, there there's, there's a lot of complexities there. And I, I think yeah. it just, it, it kind of speaks to our time. And I think there is a hunger there. I think that it, it you, and there's a lot of people from a lot of different cultures and even like the Gen Con, you know, like Heartland, whatever. I think that, you know, when I hear what they're asking for, like they're asking, they are asking for more adult adventures. Like they don't just like some of them, of course they want to like, you know, hack a slash and everything. And that's be part of it. I don't think we can stray too far away, but yeah. at least, 
you know, at least it's not cookie cutter villains. There's multiple pathing. If I want to go really dark, then I can go really dark and I can have moral choices. I, I do think that there is a hunger for that beyond like, you know, just the cultural end of things. And so yeah. that's cool that you're like, actually, that's the first time I'm actually hearing about that, that um, journey through the Radiant Citadel actually wants that a more yeah. adult take on adventuring and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's definitely a more adult take. Like, I mean, this is a kid-friendly book in, in one level. Um, in like, you know, if you're if an adult's running this for a bunch of kids or like kids are running for themselves, they'll they'll get through it without like they're not there's no go, 20 breasted monsters. There's yeah, no, yeah. Like, it's, there's, there's, nothing there's nothing like that. It, yeah. There's no there's no no cheap thrills in here. Um, there's nothing that's like you know offensive in that regard. You, you're gonna be okay. But like for the adult player, they're gonna like they're gonna read this book like six times. You're like and I can, I can take my players to the next level with this. And um, I think that's what they're going to get excited by. Nice. And it gets, it can get pretty dark. Like we go to the farm realm, which is, um, you know, if your, your reader, your viewers are not familiar with it, it's sort of like the best way to say it's like sort of like a, a, a realm of chaos. Like it's like a Cthulhu realm, right? Yeah, we, and, we know Cthulhu. We got Cthulhu yeah, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like, a, it's definitely a Cthulhu realm. Right. And it, it's doing something, I ha, I've read a ton of Cthulhu adventures. It's doing something I've never seen in a, in a Cthulhu adventure. Cool. Um, so that's going to be super freaking exciting to see what, what's going on with that. And the there's a couple different monsters going on there, and they're, they're awesome. Uh, very dark, very creepy. Um, it is going to mess with your mind. Yeah, but that home base, that home base, that the, it's still there. Yeah, right? the home base, the still, I think, like, so... I sometimes hear people go like, oh, I really want to go dark. It was so dark. I'm like, how do you tell it's dark if you've got nothing to compare it against, right? Like you can't see the darkness if all you are is in darkness. There is nothing to compare it against. The Radiant Citadel in some ways is like, it gives you enough light so that when you do go into a dark area and when you, when you face um, hardship or you face brutal moments, um, it gives you like that, like, oh, I had it so good in the Radiant Citadel and that was my home and I have people back there I love and, and I have a place I want to protect. Things are bad now. Um, and like that, you do get to see the darkness and it gives, you, it gives you perspective. So for the players who really do want to explore really hard moments and you, you, you could create the way that it's the really great thing about the Radiant Citadel is you can link it into your home campaign, um, your, your anything, then look into the Forgot Realms, anything that's existing in D&D, but your, your own home campaigns as well, your homebrews, whatever your world is, you can link in there. But it, it gives you that like that perspective, right? It gives you that, that difference from what, what else is going on there. I think that's really great. Awesome. Uh, okay, so then um, talk, us, talk to us a little bit about the structure of the book. I, I think that there's a lot of different ways to approach this kind of thing. So like you can have your Pathfinder-esque adventure path. Where it's like adventure one, adventure two, adventure three, adventure four. Right. Uh, you can have kind of an anthology where it's like, you know, it is, there's a little bit of setting connection, but really the adventures are distinct. You can kind of dip in and out. Um, I think this is book is doing something a little bit different than those two paradigms. Yeah, we're, we're, we try to, we, we wanted to maximize um, players' enjoyments and DMs' enjoyments with this. Um, so, you can start off at level one. You can start off in the Radiant Citadel, and um, or you could start it off in the first adventure, which is Salted Legacy, and um, you can you can play it straight. You can play it from the first level all the way to if you finish the book, you will be fifteenth level by going through it. And actually, you can go just in order in the book, and you will get to fifteenth level from first level uh, by the end of it. Um, and that works hundred percent. You can also pull out any of these adventures and set them up pretty easily in established worlds. In fact, we actually give you some instructions and some guidelines about how to drop this into Forgotten Realms or Aberon or Greyhawk or Dragonlance, wherever you, wherever you want to drop it into. In the established D&D worlds, it's all, it's all possible. Um, simultaneously, um, we give you at least some advice or some thoughts about like how you might drop it into your, your, um, your homebrew. And really the easiest way is each of the locations has something called a Concord Jewel linked to it. And think of it as like a giant gemstone shard. Um, you know, I wish I had something in front of me that kind of gave an example of it, but like, just think of it like a shard, like a diamond shard or an emerald shard or ruby shard that is the size of a building. And this thing um, links to, 
it just it, it knows wherever this location is and it was linked to that location um and it's like a transport vehicle like you can you can magically board into the interior of this 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 um concord jewel mm -hmm. and it will transport you it'll fly into like into the into space and then plane shift to the radiant citadel and then it links the radiant citadel you get you you get off the radiant citadel and then you can take another concord jewel to another location right so you could drop any of these adventures wherever you wanted in your own homebrew, use a Concord jewel to link it, then link it into the Radiant Citadel, and then that could transport you off to another place entirely. And the great thing is, you know, we said that there's 15 that are that are known, right? But that's another 12 missing Concord jewels. So if you've got an established home world, you're like, hey, actually, none of these adventures, as they they stand right now, none of the locations really make sense for my home, my home, you know, homebrew world. Great, no problem. Just say that like there's an obsidian concord jewel like buried in the earth and your, your 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 players your characters like they discover that obsidian concord jewel and they board it and figure out how to like maneuver it they can reactivate it and then they can tell they transport all the way to the uh you know to the radius citadel and from there they can have new adventures in any of these lands mm -hmm. um, and so i think of it like as like an adventure path and that like you can play from one to one to fifteen and on the one hand, each of these locations are different. These adventures are different, but there's some reoccurring themes. There's some like even language uh, elements. Like one one land's language evolved from another land's language, and you can tell that there may be trade between these different locations. Like there are like subtle and sometimes overt. Like even some of the myths of three of the different lands are linked to each other, mm -hmm. um, and so there are reoccurring themes and elements that are, that create kind of an adventure path. And I almost think of it more, more of a life path for your character. Like as you go through these adventures, your character will grow and see reoccurring themes in the adventures. And they will have people that make sense as NPCs that connect and they kind of connect between these different places. So you have a life path through from first to 15th level through there. Um, but then also you can, you can think of it as an anthology where you're just taking pieces of different adventures uh, or these locations. I mean, you might even just be like, hey, I kind of really love uh, Sunset Lawn. Sunset Lawn is one of the locations um, in in um, in the in the book, um, and it's based off of the adventure uh, Fiend of a Hollow Mine. And uh, you know, you, so you play this adventure Fiend of a Hollow Mine. You find you, you yourself in the city of Sunset Lawn. Right? You, you're like, well, I don't want to really play the adventure. The adventure is mind-boggling good, but it, for whatever reason, it's not your thing. But you really want to use the, the city of Sunset Lawn pick up the city and like we have, each section has a gazetteer that kind of fleshes out the culture, the people, the, this, the areas really well. So you can pull that into your own homebrew really easily. And players can make it their background, right? They can be like, hey, I'm from Sunset Lawn. And like, oh, I got all these different things here that like tell me about like characters I could build up from there. So there's a lot of options. Nice. Okay, uh, so um, we're going to go to some of the more cultural uh, conversations that you've had about this. Uh, but before I do that, is there anything about the product itself that you wanted to uh, talk about and make sure we foreground that we haven't covered already? No, I, I've been enjoying the conversation, Jason. I think we've got uh, we've been covering some really great stuff. Uh, there's, I just want to say, there's just there's a lot. Like you know, we could spend hours to kind of dissecting the book, and I'm trying to be careful because like right. can't talk too much before the book is out. So um, I already gave away like a section of the book that hadn't been revealed. I, I read something that hadn't been revealed. So you, your viewers are going to get a little bit of a, an extra. <laughs> not an too extra bad. Not that. too bad. There's plenty. There's still going to be this yeah. in this book. And I might even yeah. kind of talk about that uh, uh, when the, when the supplement actually comes out. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, when you talk about uh, releasing a book that is primarily uh, written by uh, people of color, right? You're going to get a segment of the population that is uh, pushbacky, right? Um, so I will just ask it straight away, a question that I saw in, uh, I literally saw this question in the chat. Um, why do you hate white people? Why do you want to exclude white people? Oh, um, I definitely, well, first of all, I don't hate white people. My, <laughs> my, 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 my COVID that's that's it, like the first thing though, right? It's okay. You know, yeah. I, I, when people say, okay, this is a diversity thing. Uh, and it's like, oh, well, they're, they're excluding. They're so being so exclusionary. And they say they're for inclusion, but they're not including me. And like, you get all these feelings, right? And I, I, and I just want to like, kind of hit that, that, that idea. Uh, and I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I really, I want to hear from you know, how you would articulate yeah. that kind of pushback. Yeah. Well, first of all, my co-lead, Wes Snyder, is a white man, and 
Um, you know, there were some great people, white people who worked on this book in, in really important ways and, and incredibly supportive, um, not the least being, you know, the two game architects for, for, um, for D&D for as a whole, uh, Jeremy Crawford and Chris Perkins, who were super supportive and right. champions for the book. Um, the second thing is um, the book focuses, and it was written entirely by people of color with their, with their, their cultures and their histories and, and, and their legends and their myths because it hasn't been done before. And that's kind of mind blowing. You're like 50 years of D&D &D and we've never seen brown and black writers write their own stories into D&D. &D. I mean, like there have been people of color that written for D&D so rarely and so sporadically. Um, you know, I did it for the, for, for Rand Richardson's Guide, which actually had a, a pretty decent representation, but it's, it's hard, right? You don't see a lot of it. And so this isn't like being exclusive to anybody. This is just a celebration and saying, hey, this book is, is really devoted and we want, we want to give space and time um, to the stories of, of people of color. And, and we want to share that with all of you. This is for everybody. Like this book is for everybody. Yeah, I um, think people focus on the from aspect of it like it's it's not just about the from it's about the for as well yeah. like it's from certain cultures and perspectives but it's for everybody and maybe some of the way that it was um you know shared out some of the headlines uh kind of gives a different you know impression but i i feel that right i feel that this is a this is something that is for the entire gaming and that there's something here for everybody yeah i mean i think i think the headlines were important in that like often you know, people of color, their stories get forgotten or, or, or not acknowledged. And when something big happens for us, we don't get to celebrate it, right? And we, we, don't, we don't make the headlines and we don't cheer for our successes. And so it was kind of great to see a lot of headlines kind of emphasize that and cheer for it. And we shouldn't have to apologize for having a success. We shouldn't have to apologize for having a book that's ours. Like there's been plenty of D&D books with all white writers and like, no one's apologized for those books being all white writers, right? Uh, you know, tons right, of them right, right, have been yeah. all white writers. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, for, for years, that might have been only all white writers. And, and like, nobody apologized to that. So like, I don't think- yeah, But they wouldn't have, have identified as all white writers. They would just say, I'm a writer. And like, right, and, and the idea that like, this is introducing race and this is introducing yeah. a divisive concept where before it was like people writing. Now, why is the identity so important? I think that's the perspective people- Yeah. Have. And I, I think that's a, that's a great question because it's like identity is not important when you, you're, you're the mainstream, when everything is written by you for you, right? I think when we say like, we, they don't identify as white writers, it's only because like the default of every way we think about things is like, hey, what's normal is white, right? <laughs> like what's mainstream is white. Right. So I don't need to like explain that I'm white because like, that's just what we expect it to be. Um, and then like when you when you want to say that like it's not white and you actually want to talk about that, then it, it has like this qualifier to it. Mm -hmm. um, but if we don't talk about the fact that I'm not white and then I'm not talking about a white story, then it, again, it gets erased and kind of forgotten. And, you know, we do talk about the skin colors of different NPCs you see in there. And we talk about what the, what the people look like, mm -hmm. because I know otherwise a person's imagination is like, well, that's just a person and that person is not as on a skin color that person's gonna be white mm -hmm. right we're, yeah, we're every time to... every time i i see because i've worked as a cultural consultant for the last year now and yeah. uh, a lot of people come to me it's like okay we didn't want to map anything onto this we just wanted a half race halfling race we just wanted yeah. a thing race i'm looking at it going that's a white guy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think people are going to, some people are going to think that's like, oh, well, you're just putting it in there while you're noticing or whatever it is. It's like, it, it, that's one where it's like, it, you have to kind of walk a mile in a person's shoes. Like you have mm -hmm. to understand, you know, from our perspective, going to the Gen Cons, going to the other things. I think I love what you said at like the, the beginning of our um, show, show where like you would be at a place and just, you just hear stuff. You know, maybe somebody would pop off an accent or pop off some kind of idiom or, you know, a poo. Uh, are you yeah. <laughs> that whole thing? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, and and people wonder like, oh, why is that offensive? They're like, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a poo himself, but like, if that's your only exposure, yeah, Indian culture, then that's going to be a little bit difficult. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with 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 people asking me all the time, I was like, your parents work in a gas station or a convenience store, like, because that's the only cultural reference they had for India. Um, 
And it's like, no, you know, actually my, my dad's a businessman, my mom's an accountant, but like you only see, you know, Indians working gas stations or, or convenience stores because up who is your, your, your cultural reference in media or, or whatever version of it. Indians is like kind of a, a punchline to, to, to white culture, right? And that's why this book is so important because you got a bunch of brown and black people, you got a lot of people of color talking about their cultures, their lands, their history, and they're they're getting away from those tropes, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're telling their truths through through these stories, and it's pretty powerful, pretty magical, and it's a great it's a great adventure because of it. Like you get like such incredible adventures, you're just like people are gonna like lose their minds of how cool and neat and different. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize, you know, China could be this complicated or I didn't realize India has all of this stuff going on. And I, I didn't realize Mexico has all of these different things going on. And it's just, mm-hmm. There's just so much richness there that I learned a lot reading all of the other writers and what they had put into this book. You can it's eat, a treat. Well, yeah. You can eat Mexican at Taco Bell or you can go to Mexico and have your mind blown that that is the that is the uh shift that we're we're looking at here um you mentioned before about like you know the rooms right i mean a lot we have a lot of like white writers who wrote a lot of the perspectives and that happened for a long time so i think that the struggle right to become to get hired to have our submissions you know accepted uh that's not visible you know i think there's this idea that like okay well if you're good you'll, you know, get accepted at these places. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact that it's taken so long for a, a POC um, presence to, be, to make itself manifest is just because, you know, we just weren't around. And it just so happens that like in the last couple of years, there's more of us around. So, you know, there it is. So like, I, don't, I mean, I know you haven't, you know, you can only speak from your perspective, but yeah. maybe talk a little bit about like some of the barriers that you're aware of that were yeah. there before this supplement. Yeah, you know, I can only I can only speak as you said I can only speak to my perspective. But uh, you know, Jason, I can't tell you how many times I've had like a, a nice nice guy, like a nice white guy who's like you know smart, creative, and doing some good stuff, and I would present some ideas to him, and he'd say, you know, hey, Ajit, like oh, I really appreciate you know you're, you're talented. I see a lot of good skills here, but your idea is not quite the right culture fit for what we're, we're looking at, you know? It's not the right culture fit. Um, wow. And I, okay. I, I get the- An actual I get the, phrase, culture yeah, fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would get the culture fit um, kind of thing quite often because um, I started putting just brown characters into like some of my work or I'd start putting like, you know, hints of India into my work. And it's like, oh, you're looking for Celtic. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're, 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 you're looking for Viking. Like, and that's the only kind of like frame of reference is they keep on drawing from that same well of like Vikings or Celtic or, you know, Druidic or whatever is going on there um, as kind of like this, like your fantasy version is just again and again from a certain set of expectations. And when you have those set of expectations and and the leads are on that certain set of expectations, like like a game designer is like coming from that perspective then yeah, you aren't the right culture fit for them because they're not, um, they're not really thinking about uh, what it looks like to create a fantasy world or, or characters that are not white or that are not from you know, the four or five kind of areas that keep on, we keep on seeing again and again and again. So that's why a book like this has become so important because like I'm, I'm the co-project lead and it's my vision, right? Like I'm the one who created this and I, I had some very specific vision guides about how to like engage with this stuff. But then I gave a lot of like room and space to the writers to make their, their right culture fit for, for their section, right? <laughs> right. Um, and the Radio Citadel is a culture fit for, for a lot of different cultures because it was built like that, right? It's right. New York City and New York City, New York City's for everybody. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't accuse anybody of anything. I mean, I think, be, be, again, a, a thing that people can assume is like okay well we're calling a bunch of people racist for being exclusionary and everything that like maybe a, a percent of a percent is actually racist but like for the most part it's a bunch of people who are comfortable with what is familiar yeah. and who could be a little bit risk averse about like okay will people buy this different thing like i know this center thing will sell will people buy the new thing so it's like in a way it's like oh well the market is speaking the market is telling me to put elves and dwarves and forests and all this other stuff in there 
uh, druids and, and that kind of thing. So I think that the, I, I think what you're describing is like, okay, it's not like active, you know, no. uh, walls closing in with spikes, barriers, kind of pushing people yeah. out. It's these kind of soft little ways that a, a person who doesn't maybe have like that, you know, that stick to itiveness. And it's like, okay, you know, they, they, they write something, they get pushed away and then it's like, okay, I'm just going to go to something else. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think most gamers are racist, right? I think like most gamers are awesome and they love games and um, they're good people. But I think human beings by our very nature, we kind of like, we focus on ourselves, right? We think about ourselves right. in like our own small box first. And um, we're also, a lot of human beings are kind of risk averse. I think a lot of people think they're, they're more, like they're more daring than they actually are. Um, and they don't want to take risks and they like the safetyness, the safety, like the comfort zone of what they are already familiar with um, and what is uh, like, feels like home for them and what feels like what they grew up with when they were a kid. And if you were white and you grew up with, uh, with all white friends and an all white neighborhood and all white kind of culture, then like something that's out of that is un really unfamiliar and feels really kind of weird and, uh, and uncomfortable and maybe a little dangerous. And that, that's real tough uh, for them to kind of get used to. And, but the antidote to that is to, to take that risk mm -hmm. and to jump and leap and go like, you know what, I'm going to play this game, even though it's so different what I'm used to by people that I'm not really familiar with that I didn't grow up with and I don't know as well. And I'm going to engage with that. And I, I think that like, I think most of your viewers are going to have a great time with that because they're going to find something that that is going to feel familiar. Like there's a lot of things, we're all human beings at the end of the day. So like, there's a lot of familiar human stories, fundamental human stories that continue to reoccur. Love and fear and hope and anger. Like those themes are running through the adventure again and again and again. And greed and with a million and, Yeah, <laughs> there's so many greedy characters in this book. Like there's, there's a lot of motivation by greed. Um, and a lot of motivation by 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 power hungriness or, or and by fear, mm -hmm. um, and, and but also by love and by by like the the fight to do good, right? And the you know the, that battle too, right? So that's human. That's fundamentally human. But you're going to get it from a difficult point, mm -hmm. and I think that's going to be incredibly powerful. To and and the end of the work. day, I mean, as much as it kind of sucks that to say, okay, uh, this has to be really good. You know, uh, the, the, the old standards, like, okay, a POC has to work twice as hard yeah. to get half as far, all that kind of thing. But it's like, if we can pull off something really quality, I can think of like a Black Panther type thing. So like, we can't yeah. have all Black leads in like a big, you know, 10 pole franchise, boom, billion dollars, worldwide success. Wow. And it comes straight from the, like an African Afrofuturist perspective. So like, if it's good, then we can break barriers. And I think that's kind of what ultimately where we're going to land with this is that you know, the question is, okay, is, I don't want to hear about diversity. Is this good? Okay. How about both? You're going to yeah. hear about the diversity and you're going to hear how freaking good this, this promises to be. That's a hundred percent. I mean, you, 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 your words could have taken from my own lips, Jason. Like, all I, I, I've been thinking about this ever since, man. <laughs> I mean, all of us who worked on this were like excited as hell. Um, we knew we were working on something bigger than ourselves, that like the, the sum of this was bigger than all of the parts and that this, this book and what we were creating was so important that every single one of us had to do our absolute best. And we were sweating bullets. We were working late nights. We we're revising draft after draft after draft. We were pushing ourselves to the limits because we knew we had to do this perfect. And we had to be as good as humanly possible. And I can't promise you this book is perfect. There are flaws in everything. For human beings, we, we can only do as good as we can do. But this book is amazing. And I, I have read almost every D&D book that's ever been put out there. I, I would rank this in the top five. Like there is something incredibly powerful and magical about this book. It does so much. It will, it will open your mind. It will pull away your, your perspectives and, and your expectations. Um, it is just so well written. It's so smart. The art is some of the best art that's ever been in a D and D book. I don't know how much of you've seen it, but there's been art floating out there, and they're just really rich and beautiful pieces of art. It just all comes together, and um, yeah, we knew we had to do it that way. We're like, we can't do average because, like, right. then people are gonna be like, well, yeah, you know, you had your one you shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you have your one shot, and you got to take that shot, and you got to do your absolute best. And, 
I think all of us, we all knew that it was working on it. It was hard, you know? Can't tell you how many times I cried working on this book. Like I shed so many tears over this book. I I was so worried and I was so like stressed. And I was so, and I can tell you all the other writers felt it too. We all felt like we were working on something bigger and more important than each of us as individuals. And so we we put our heart and soul into this book. Um, And I think it, it will show when you get it and you read through it, and sit with it and read through it again. You each time you read through, you can be like, "Whoa, there's some there's some more things going on here that I didn't see the first time." And so, my sincere hope, just in closing, is not that it's not just that it's excellent, and I, I have every confidence that it will be, but that it will influence. Like this is the first of something, and that RPG writers and board gamers and movie makers and whoever else is making geek stuff will take this take this baton that is being handed to us by our friend. Uh, and run with it and create their own thing. That that is the ultimate, you know, play forward that I'm hoping for, hoping for. And you know, that's what this interview is all about: is just trying to get the word out and spread this to as far as possible. Uh, so, I mean, that is the project that's coming out in July. We'll see. It got pushed back once, so you never know about these things. Um, what else are you working on? And you know, where else can we find your work? And how can we follow you a little bit more closely in terms of your creative endeavors? Yeah, you, you can see me, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Aja George SB um, on Twitter, or if you just Google my name, you'll end up seeing a lot of stuff from my nonprofit work and mm-hmm. my website. Um, I'm actually like uh, really looking forward to um, a, uh, a vampire LARP. Uh, I like World of Darkness. I don't know how many much of your viewers like uh, World of Darkness, but I'm big. Well, we had a LARP episode. Oh, wait, no, it, it's all, it's all in it. We, we, Yes. Oh, uh, maybe you should interview the, with these guys or the two creators. Of, uh, there's a lot called Saturnalia and it's in New Orleans. And my wife and I are both mm. going. She's she's in games as well. She's a she's a video game uh, director um, for, for D&D video game. And we're going to go out to New Orleans and they're doing this two day LARP. Um, and, and one day is on a steamboat. And there's like these six Houdon pr- practitioners that are going to be like creating this ritual of a, of a funeral. And there's all sorts of weird shit going on with it. But I'm going to be in New Orleans for two days. And, and that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to. I'm not really part of the leadership of it, but I, I, they've, they've asked for creative like ideas and like I've kind of been participating and kind of putting in some stuff in there. And they've been really receptive to it. So that's my big next creative project. I'm, you know, working on a couple other things too, but a little early to announce it. But uh, okay. um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. This has been so good. I am very excited about this project as a, a refugee D&D player from back in the day. I'm really, I'm, you know, hoping to get uh, RPGs back in my life uh, as a yeah. uh, you know, professional and then, you know, my personal life as well. So this has been really good. Uh, Ajit George, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for having me on. If we can change your mind, we can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.